Ari Rosenbaum here with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. This week's topic, the smaller the 401k plan, the bigger the problems. Uh, one of my favorite topics based on an article that I wrote a long, long time ago, probably when I first started out in 2010. Of course, go to that 401ksite.com. Uh, plan sponsor virtual event. Uh, less than two weeks away. Um, it's free for uh, plan sponsors that want to be a part of it. Plan providers want to be a part of it. Still reach out to me about being a part of it, sponsoring it. That 401k National Virtual Conference, that's going to be at the end of January. we got about 25 people signed up and uh, get the email this week. Sign up for free instead of spending the two bucks. Uh, and um, we will have information and sign up soon for Texas and New York for next year. So, um, yeah, when I first started out in 2010, I think I wrote an article, the bigger, uh, the smaller the plan, the bigger the problems, and uh, kind of redid it just uh, now. Um, you know, the 401k plan world, you know, 401k plans live lives in a world of contradictions. It's one of the few employer-provided benefits that employee usually pays for. Um, most 401k plans offer participants direct investments, and participants are usually the least equipped to make their own financial investment decisions. I mean, that's a fact. 401k plan sponsors can be held legally responsible for administration fees that the plan providers are not legally required to tell them about the fees until 2012. And I think the biggest contradiction out there is uh, the smaller the plan, the bigger the problems. And, um, you know, we have that assumption, well, you know, if you have a bigger plan, you have more participants, uh, things should go more wrong. But, you know, it's funny, the larger the plan, the smaller the problems. And, uh, you know, it's based on the fact that, you know, all plans, all 401k plans are not created equally. Um, asset size, in my opinion, dictates pricing, level of care, level of service for 401k plans. So larger plan will be an advantage over a smaller plan. I've been doing this for 25 years now. And, you know, when I work on the small to medium-sized plan marketplace, do have a couple larger plans. But, you know, these are the plans that have more compliance headaches. And, you know, hidden administration fees, increased fiduciary liability, a lot of headaches um, than the larger plans out there. And there are quite a few reasons for it. And obviously the differences between larger and smaller companies. Uh, larger 401k plans, um, you know, are obviously sponsored by larger companies. Smaller plans are sponsored by smaller companies. So one of the major differences between the two is the experience of the HR staff. Uh, smaller plans have smaller staff. They have, you know, maybe one HR director. And, uh, that person may or not have any training to be an HR director. I worked uh, at CBiz. Uh, I was a, as a, an attorney working for a law firm at the site of CBiz Retirement Services Inc. And uh, before that, it was Moby's Tech. And uh, the boss's wife, one of the boss's wives, was the HR director. And uh, may she rest in peace. Nice lady. Um, I don't think she was somebody in tune to the HR needs of the staff. She showed up anytime she wanted to. Uh, you know, it's hard to complain about the boss when it's the boss's wife is the HR director. But, um, you know, larger companies that I've dealt with have, you know, 
HR directors with training, uh, you know, that have, you know, SHRM uh, annotations and accreditations and whatnot. And uh, you may actually even have staff that is certified to be employee benefit specialists, SEBS, Certified Employee Benefit Specialists. I had a union client at one of those firms I worked at, and the guy was a certified employee benefit specialist. So he, you know, he, he knew uh, he knew a lot about retirement plans, and he really kept um, the actuary, and he kept us, the attorneys, on our toes. Um, and you know, obviously, larger companies have the capability to hire people like that. Smaller companies don't. They may have the bosses with. They may not have an HR director. Uh, my father's company, they, yeah, there was no HR director. It was a union shop, and uh, there were a handful of non-union employees. If there was an issue, I don't know who anybody would go to. Uh, but uh, that's that's how it is. And, uh, you know, um, smaller companies, you know, I just... I've had audits and dealt with the HR staff, nice, lovely people. They don't have the training. Uh, if you have an audit with them, you have to kind of hold their hands and, and try to, you know, get the information out there for them. Obviously, the economies of scale benefit larger plans. Uh, you know, larger plans have a wider variety of choice of providers to choose from, thanks to the economies of scale and because of increased asset sites. They pay less in fees as a percentage amount when compared to plan assets. We all know that for smaller plans prior to the regs, they got stuck with insurance-based products that were heavy with fees, uh, layers and layers with fees. You know, you had mutual funds with, uh, you'd use the brand name, but it had a different QCIP because the insurance company just wrapped it with fees. Um, larger plans can go directly. If they like Fidelity or Vanguard and they can go directly, uh, smaller plans may not have that opportunity. Smaller plans may not have the opportunity to go to a, uh, a uh, independent TPA. Um, you know, Empower may not want them. Um, some of the choice providers out there are not a good fit for these smaller plans. And so that's why insurance company providers, bundled providers, this is what you know, most small plans get stuck with which, you know, uh, they may be unaware of the rat fees that are in these in individual investments. So it's, uh, you know, you're not getting uh, the fund that you think you're getting. You're getting the fund um, you think you're getting plus an additional fees and, and whatnot. Uh, you know, the fact is, is that, uh, you know, so many smaller plans still to this day pay, are, are insistent they're not paying any fees. Uh, even though they get a fee disclosure, even though, you know, they get a management uh, asset breakdown, um, they still, to this day, insist that they pay no fees whatsoever. And we know that that's not true. But uh, it's very, very hard to argue with plan sponsors who are just insistent they pay nothing. Um, unbundled TPAs, the daily value, these were the pioneers of the fee disclosure movement. They were disclosing fees... Uh, before it was law, um, and uh, insurance company providers were less likely to do that. Um, we saw a lot of insurance companies exit the retirement plan business. I don't want to name names, but we know quite a few insurance companies sold their blocks of business, and that's why 
other companies became larger and larger. Uh, our friends in Empower can attest to that. A lot of providers looked at the fee disclosure rules and say, said, you know, listen, we, we can't survive in a transparent environment. We're going to sell our block of business to Empower or Lincoln or whoever it is. And there were, you know, unbundled TPAs that had to get bought out or merged out or just simply went out of business just because they couldn't, you know, work in a um, transparent, free, a transparent environment. You know, uh, of course, you know, 25 years of experience, I still have this bias that unbundled TPAs are a better value than bundled providers and insurance company-based platforms. Because uh, I think they offer, in my opinion, a better level of care and a better level of service. And, you know, um, I see a lot of errors uh, on the compliance end caused by these bundled providers. Uh, so I have that bias. Next, uh, nobody wants to talk about, but advisors for smaller plans have less experience than larger plans. You know, uh, it's a fact that smaller plans are less, are more likely to hire financial advisors with a lack of a, you know, a lack of background or retirement plans um, than larger plans do. Um, you still have, you know, advisors out there who are very, very small uh, block of business. Uh, larger plans, you know, go to financial advisors who have large blocks of business and have more experience in the day-to-day -day running. Of a retirement plan. Uh, these are folks that understand the gamut, uh, the necessary tools of what a financial advisor has to do for their clients, you know, the development of the investment policy statement, which sets forth the uh, choosing and replacement of investment options in the plan, as well as getting participants ready and able to make investment decisions to limit liability under ERSA 404C. There are still, you know, on the small plan market, small potato advisors. And I always like the term small potatoes because it always reminds me of one of my favorite 30 for 30 episodes, uh, ESPN. It was on the USFL. Who ki uh, it was like, was it who killed the US? Who, uh, something about you know, who killed the USFL, small potatoes or something like that. And it was based on something where uh, Donald Trump. Uh, you know, in an interview claimed that the USFL is just small potatoes, uh, which, you know, is contrary to his vision of suing the NFL in an antitrust claim, moving uh, what, what I thought was a viable spring league into a fall league and betting it all on a antitrust lawsuit that they lost, mainly because Trump was a lousy witness, but mainly the USFL kind of spent itself out of existence by overpaying for free agents. But we do have small potatoes, financial advisors still around. People who dabble uh, don't really have the experience or the knowledge. Uh, they just have a couple of plans on the books. We really don't have that Barney Fife advisor. And the reason I call the Barney Fife advisor, Barney Fife uh, in uh, the Andy Griffith show had one unspent bullet in his pocket. Uh, and so that's where I get the term of the Barney Fife advisors, advisors who only have one plan in their pocket. Um, you know, smaller advisors, again, they don't have the knowledge. They don't have the background. Uh, they're least likely to fulfill their duties in helping plan sponsors for the fiduciary process. 
These might be the advisors who never show up and collect a quarterly fee. There's still people out there. And, you know, it, it's, still, it's still an issue, and that's why I still think smaller plans have bigger problems. I see the audit as an advantage for larger plans. Now, if you ask larger plans about an audit, they'll tell you they'd rather not have that audit. They don't want to, you know, I, I just was speaking, uh, I'm rolling out um, a mega pep, what I call, um, took a multiple employer plan that I run and switching it over to a pooled employer plan starting in January. And we're going to morph it into, uh, I wouldn't call it a pep killer, but basically a Pac-Man pep where it's going to gobble up uh, a lot of the peps that don't want to be in business anymore because they're just too small. But it was interesting uh, interesting in the sense that I was speaking to an advisor of larger plans, and they are interested in joining a pep just to get rid of not the audit cost, because there's still be an audit cost that will cost a lot less, but they don't want the auditors to sit in their offices for two weeks asking questions. Now, I still think an audit is a reason why larger plans have less problems. And, you know, we all know the rules about audits. Now this year, thankfully, we're now going to a participant headcount based on account balances, not on participants. Uh, you know, the, the, I give an audit, check the financial statements of the, the plan and uh, to make sure that the plan operates uh, according to its plan document and the law and so that there are no impediments to paying out beneficiaries. I've seen audits root out errors that the TPA screwed up and didn't figure out. Even us ERISA attorneys, uh, it picks up errors that we may have seen. And, you know, no audit's foolproof. Uh, the audit is only as good as the auditor. Uh, I, you know, recommend using audit firms where their bread and butter is audits. There are quite a few audit firms out there nationally uh, that all they do is retirement plan audits. But somebody who, you know, really understands the fundamentals of retirement plan audits, no audits foolproof, but like I said, I've seen quite a few pickup errors that uh, you never thought uh, was out there. Um, you know, there was one... Uh, it, there was one audit I remember from years ago where it was discovered that the TPA was pocketing revenue sharing fees. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, it was a big problem because the auditor caught it. And the TPA had to make good. So that was something that, you know, the audit did catch. And, you know, obviously, um, sometimes the auditor screws up. Uh, years ago, I'll never forget, one of those top four accounting firms did the audit for a bank. Uh, it's always a funny story. They did an audit for a bank. Um, and 20 years, they didn't catch an error in the definition of compensation. They were supposed to uh, put out, uh, allow for deferrals and put out employer contributions on bonuses, uh, which weren't excluded. And you know, I told the client they had to go back and fix it all the way, way back. And it was a voluntary compliance situation. Of course, they hired the cheap attorney who told them, yeah, you could self-correct it. And um, the TPA I recommended to help fix the error, they hired the TPA but didn't hire me. Uh, that's, uh, that's, yeah, that happens in life. But uh, um, again, like I say, uh, that audit is such an effective tool. 
uh, to root out a lot of errors. And, you know, really doesn't have to be this way. Uh, I do believe, you know, smaller plants are going to have larger problems when it comes to compliance. Uh, and when it comes to limiting their fiduciary liability and, and minimizing administrative costs, it doesn't really have to be that way. Um, I think the problem with smaller plans is uh, smaller companies just, you know, neglect it. They don't implement a system of checks and balances in place to ensure that plant providers are doing their jobs in the correct manner. They don't review their plant providers. Uh, they, you know, the system of, you know, set it and forget it, it just doesn't work. And that's where plant sponsors, you know, get into trouble. And, uh, you know, to me, a system of checks and balances is where a plant sponsor can just, you know, hire independent professional plant providers to ensure that the other plant providers are doing their job. You know, um, if you have an advisor, um, you know, looking at what I'm doing, you know, I'm going to be looking what the advisor is doing uh, if we're independent from each other. If we have a provider that's doing everything and, you know, they're producing TPAs out there who do a credible job, but nobody's watching them. Um, you know, if they're the advisory firm, they got affiliated advisory firm, they're the TPA, and you use their in-house attorney who cannot afford an attorney-client relationship, well, you're not going to have a good system of checks and balances. You know, no TPA is going to, very few TPAs are going to be honest and fess up when they screw up or they're going to say, we're not doing our job. Um, you know, uh, a small 401k plan should utilize the services of an independent TPA, an independent financial advisor, in my opinion, and an independent risk attorney. From experience, the best retirement plans are where all plan providers are well-versed in their retirement plan business, so they understand their duties uh, and the duties of other plan providers. Of course, the other option, like I discussed before, is the pooled employer plan. Um, you know, joining as an adopting employer, uh, that is an you know, opportunity out there for plan sponsors that you know, are kind of small and want to limit their liability, and perhaps get better pricing. There's no guarantee on that. If the PEP doesn't have enough assets, uh, it certainly can't, you know, provide that. But, you know, in my opinion, bigger doesn't have to be better. Um, you know, as long as the plant sponsor of a small plant takes their fiduciary, you know, responsibility a little bit more uh, seriously, and uh, the best bet uh, is going to be to hire a top-notch level of independent plan providers. And there are good plan providers out there that will work on small plans. So they are out there. It's just a matter of the plan sponsor figuring out and identifying who they are. So hope that uh, helps you with this week's episode. Uh, we will be back uh, next week with another fun-filled episode of that 401k podcast. And of course, like I always say, go check out that 401ksite.com for articles, events, uh, and, and all that other kind of stuff. I was working on an article where I listed my top 26 major, well, ma my major league ballparks, the 26 that I've been to, ranked them from 26 down to one. Uh, no surprise, Oakland Coliseum is dead last, and number one, I've always said it, is Fenway Park. And in between, it gets kind of tough, uh, but uh, should be an interesting list for you all to read, and hopefully I can get to 30 within the next year or so. So again, I uh, hope you tune in another for another episode next week of that 4 Podcast. And of course, like I said repeatedly, 
go to thatforeignkc.com for further information on all our virtual and in-person events. Thank you.